Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Good afternoon. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, this Ignatius Press live interview. with uh, I'm Thomas Jacoby. I'm an editor at Ignatius Press in San Francisco. I had the great honor of speaking today with uh, Sam Guzman. Is it is it Guzman or is it Guzman? I just Guzman. Okay, yes, good. That's right. All right, great. I'm, uh, I have the great honor of talking to Sam today. Um, Sam is, as many of you probably know, he's the author of The Catholic Gentleman, Living Authentic Manhood Today. It's a 2019 book from Ignatius Press. Um, it's a book of 32 uh, short, um, really uh, condensed, witty essays uh, and well-told essays about um, many aspects of um, manhood, prayer, uh, life in the church, uh, sanctity, um, and many fatherhood, especially, I think, and many other things. Um, Sam is also the, well, you're a father of four. Is that right, Sam? That's right. And you may hear them in the background uh, <laughs> once or twice. So <laughs> It's beautiful. Um, and you live in, are you, you're in Oklahoma, is that right? That's right. We're in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And so Sam is the is he's the editor and the founder of uh, the Catholic Gentleman blog, um, and I wanted to start this interview with uh, a few more general questions before we get into the book itself. Um, I just have a question. The first question that I have for you is uh, just what is a gentleman? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think when as soon as we use the word gentleman, we're distinguishing a gentleman from a man, um, and I think. Uh, that's an interesting distinction, but uh, you've often heard the the phrase, you know, a man um, is is not born, he is made, or something like that. Where um, you know, there's a clear transition from boyhood to manhood. But likewise, I think there's a transition between manhood to uh, gentlemanliness, if you will. Um, but I think gentle, the word gentleman implies a, it, you know, it comes from the um, the old world of nobility and um, uh, the upper classes um, where they were more educated, more refined, but also there were social codes in the upper classes that maybe perhaps weren't in the lower classes um, that, you know, well, we need to have courtly manners and we need to, and um, that eventually just became, the word gentleman just became synonymous with courtesy. Um, and, you know, a level of refinement and dignity. Um, and so, you know, the way we use it today doesn't necessarily mean uh, nobility or the upper classes, but it does speak of someone who has a certain sense of sensitivity to um, the needs of others, someone who, who is aware of how his behavior influences others, um, how someone who is ready to serve, someone who is is quick to... Um, act on behalf uh, of others, somebody who has manners. Um, and what are manners? They're just, it's, it's ritualized respect. It's respect for others that's been codified in um, rules and norms. Um, so when we use the word gentleman, we're talking about somebody who, you know, is, is above and beyond just uh, common manhood, if you will. Um, they uh, have reached a level of refinement and dignity in class, and, uh, the needs of others, and, and they're working um, to serve the good of all. 
Excellent. So do, do you think there are still gentlemen today in our culture? I do. I uh, think that they are, are harder to find than they were perhaps in times past, but I think they absolutely still exist uh, in the world today. Um, they're often quiet, uh, unassuming. They don't draw attention to themselves, but they very well may be in your parish. Um, they may be in your workplace, um, but they're they're generally they're they're generally um, not loudmouths. They they are they seek to uh, serve un, in an unnoticed way. Um, but yes, I, I think we're we're seeing a lack of gentlemanliness in the world today. I think a lot of men are. Um, clueless as to what um, constitutes a gentleman so uh, perhaps they even want to be one and yet they struggle to fit that mold because they've never been shown how they've never encountered a gentleman themselves um, and so they they, they are, are uh, searching for what true manhood means um, but I think it's our responsibility as men of faith to lead the way in the recovery uh, of true gentlemanliness. So you're, you're the uh, founder and the editor of the blog, The Catholic Gentleman, and you have a number of contributors, I think, quite a few, who contribute regularly to The Catholic Gentleman. Um, what inspired you initially to start this blog? Um, was there a particular moment when you recognized uh, a, a serious need to address Catholic men today, especially young men? Absolutely. Well, it started with myself, <laughs> you know, going in, into college, and really trying to find myself as a young man, um, really trying to uh, discover what manhood means in a modern context. Um, because of course we can we can wear top hats or silk gloves yeah. or something like that, um, but that, that it doesn't make you a gentleman. Um, and uh, it's it's an it's kind of a caricature at that point. But so what does manhood mean? You know, we can we can do all the vintagey things, um, but uh, uh, what does that look like? Our culture presents so many different images and archetypes of what manhood is, uh, many of which are, are shamed or considered toxic in the world today. So I really just started on a quest of my own. Um, part of that was finding uh, a rooted faith, uh, which led me to the Catholic Church. I'm a, I'm a convert to the Catholic Church. But that was part of my my search for roots, for stability, for meaning, for context in which to live my manhood. Um, but um, part of that journey um, led me to realize that there was um, a lack of resources. And, and thanks be to God, this has dramatically changed. But at the time I came into the church, there was a lack of resources for Catholic men. Um, and uh, there's been an explosion in the last, you know, eight or so years. Um, but at that time, there just really wasn't a lot. And so I felt a hunger to, to make a difference. I didn't really know how, but it was during a kind of an intense prayer process um, that I had a clear vision for a site for men um, called the Catholic Gentleman uh, that would equip men to live their faith and to find the Catholic faith as something attractive and meaningful to them um, that would uh, inspire them to to embrace the practice of the faith um, and Catholic gentlemen. It seems to have launched kind of a movement, frankly, from what I've seen Catholic, young Catholic men. I mean, I, I can't say necessarily that you're the, you know, you were the impetus behind it, but it it's caught on amazingly. 
I would say, the last five, six, seven years. Uh, Catholic young adults I know in New Orleans, where I'm from, um, there was this, there was a sort of a, a revival of a Catholic manhood, this very conscious, deliberate attempt to live Catholic manhood. And the real, I really think there was kind of a renaissance. It's really beautiful to behold. Um, but I wanted to say at the, uh, to kind of jump into your book, um, so Dale Alquist, who was a very uh, accomplished scholar of Chesterton, and I think the president of the uh, Chesterton Society, um, he wrote the foreword to this book. Um, and I, th I found the foreword extremely uh, illuminating and also very uh, charitable. Uh, he put a perspective on um, our current state of uh, when it comes to um, gender issues or um, kind, of, kind of societal upheaval, um, societal unrest. He really, I think he puts, he puts into a really interesting context. He says that at a certain point, men in the West um, kind of largely gave up, as he said before, on becoming kind, gentle, restrained, responsible, uh, conscious, uh, conscientious servants, which is the ideal of knighthood, as you said, which is the ideal of the gentleman. And instead, selfishness uh, took over. And then feminism, Alquist says this, has been a reaction, actually, to a warped, self-serving masculinity. Uh, the kind of thing that you see on like Spike TV, I remember seeing that in college a lot, uh, or in Vice Magazine, which is actually a left-wing magazine, <laughs> uh, just as just as self-serving and warped. And, uh, and he says, indeed, the more radical feminists have simply just followed the example of ungentle men, ungentle males with their insistence on power and control. Um, so do you think that men in our culture today are still kind of giving manhood a, a bad name like this? And is it affecting women if they are? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, to answer your question briefly, yes, I do do think that men in the culture today are giving men a bad name. I mean, you look at your typical college campus and it's just anarchy really. And men are incredibly um, selfish um, and they often use women in despicable ways. Um, and of course, women rebel against that, which is, as you mentioned, where we get a lot of our, our kind of anti-reactionary, anti-masculine um, anger in our culture, uh, where there are cries of toxic masculinity and things like this. And I you know, was recently at a store where I saw all kinds of branded merchandise that had the message plastered all over it, the future is female, you know? So there's really, there really is a, a war between the sexes where you know, uh, men treat women poorly, uh, women treat men poorly, um, and we're really just all despising each other at this point. Um, but I, I think, you know, if you look at the biblical model, the, the Catholic model of manhood, we look at this kind of crisis and, and it could really devolve very quickly into finger pointing where we say, um, you know, the men say, well, it's the women's fault. They need to be more feminine and then we'll be more masculine and and uh, we'll be more gentlemanly if women act exactly. like they, they want that, you know. Um, where, and then the women say, you know, well, we'll be more feminine if men start treating us with dignity or whatever. And, and it just, it just uh, descends into chaos from there. But what I think we really need to realize is that it's, it's up to us men to change the tune. Um, Yes, we're all at fault. We, you know, men have failed, women have failed. Um, 
culturally things are a mess, but the responsibility for changing that paradigm lies with men. And, you know, St. John Paul II once said, you know, the dignity of every woman, you know, is the responsibility uh, of every man. And, and you know, I'm, I'm maybe paraphrasing that poorly, but men are to lead the way. Um, and again, where we treat women with, as beloved daughters of God, we refuse to use them um, as sexual objects or um, we refuse to play power games with them where we, we simply acknowledge that they are worthy of dignity and respect. And we will show that through our courtesy, through our, our honor, our reverence for refusing to lust, by refusing to, um, you know, engage in pornography or other degrading things. Um, and, you know, I work in a, a company that is Covenant Eyes that, that works every day in the anti-pornography movement. Um, but that's my that's my day job. Um, but, um, you, you know, a lot of pornography is incredibly degrading to women, you know, and, and there's they they like to, the pornography you know uh, companies and things like this love to present oh it's empowering right. to women etc cetera, etc cetera. well no no it's absolutely not and they glory in that fact and they love to humiliate women abuse them in a lot of these um, horrific you know movies that are are made um, so it's incredibly degrading to women and every time a Catholic man logs on to a website and engages in consuming this content. Um, he's he's fueling the degradation of women. So we can one way to be men and to show respect to women is to refuse to treat them as objects for our own gratification, and instead seek to see the person uh, behind the body, behind the face. Um, you know, the body reveals the person, and we need to strive as Catholic men to s stop objectifying women and begin personalizing them see them as daughters someone's daughter but above all god's daughter and um so yes things are toxic things are hostile um the only way things are going to change though is if someone decides to take responsibility in a sense repent for the culture of toxic masculinity that's kind of emerged from our fatherless culture um, and say, no, I am going to bring in with, within my power, God help me, to change this toxic cycle that we're trapped in. Uh, it's, it stops with me. And a new culture of love and dignity and respect. Uh, and, and when we all do that collectively, it has to start individually. But individual change leads to collective change. So if we can, we can make those choices for ourselves as men where we, we say no more, uh, no more degradation, no more uh, competition and humiliation and, and uh, you know, power plays and things like that. And, and um, which is, by the way, one way that men are responding, not, not Catholic men, I, I hope, but there is a whole movement where these men are like, we're kings, we're going to humiliate women, we're going to degrade them, we're going to use them and then dump them. Um, that is one way that that men in our culture are trying to respond to this these power games, but that is not the way of a Catholic gentleman. But it starts with each one of us saying, "I'm going to choose the way of love. I'm going to choose the way of honor and dignity and respect." Um, and I, I, feel, I truly believe that if we start to treat um, the young women on our college campuses that way, 
you know, the women in the workplace, um, the media that we consume, that we choose to consume, um, it will lead to a collective cultural change, but we have to start with ourselves um, or it will never happen. That's wonderful. Um, so you open your book, uh, the first essay is called The Quest for Authenticity. In fact, I'd say authenticity is one of the central themes uh, in, throughout the book and many essays, um, including um, fatherhood. Uh, one of the, you give, a, you give a, some advice on fatherhood and you say that um, one of the rules you give for, for fatherhood is basically to, to be genuine because children can smell hypocrisy. Um, and I think this authenticity, it just, uh, it seems to be really central um, to the whole, your whole sense of masculinity. And you say in, in, the, in this essay, uh, The Quest for Authenticity, you say that men uh, don't like fake. I think that's true. And even in cars, you know, like you gave, you gave a wonderful, uh, I'll just, I'll go ahead and read it because I think it's a great uh, passage that illustrates your, your style. But you say, um, you say, ever since I was a little kid, I've had a fascination with old cars. My stepfather would take us kids to classic car shows, the kind in oily McDonald's parking lots with French fries plastered to the pavement and the Beach Boys blaring over loudspeakers. Vintage hot rods and muscle cars would line the parking lot in row after row of ferocious beauty. These cars, those cars were enough to make a Prius driving, granola eating, eco warrior screech in terror. Massive eight liter engines throbbed, pulsed and growled, emitting bass notes so guttural you could feel them pounding in your chest. Oversized superchargers whined and howled, sucking air into jittering four barrel carburetors. Dancing side pipes belched exhaust and tides mel tires melted in plumes of acrid smoke as drivers dropped the clutch, unleashing, unleashing hundreds of horsepower on the quivering pavement. It was awesome. And I think, uh, sorry to read the long passage, but I think your illustration, having gone to monster truck rallies growing up, I do. I know what you're talking about. Uh, and this men, what's, what's beautiful to a man about uh, muscle cars is not that they're loud necessarily uh, or, you know, kind of, or large, uh, but it's that they're, they're real. They're, they're the steel. It's real American steel. And uh, um, it runs on gasoline and not, you know, nitrous oxide. And uh, you say that even in cars and with cabinets, you know, whether it's carpentry, men prefer the genuine and handcrafted. And yet uh, we've almost all been given for decades, this is a quote from you, a steady diet of fake uh, I mean, our whole lives. I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, so my question for you is, what kind of fakery uh, do we see today, uh, even among Catholics? And what, do you affect, what effect do you think it has on men, especially Christian men? Um, yes. Um, well, no, I, I, I could go on ad nauseum giving illustration of how our culture has just embraced the artificial. Um, but I think for, for men, that often translates to um, an inner insecurity, um, an inner doubt about who they are. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we live in a father, fatherless culture. And really, a young boy has to have a father figure, a man um, preferably his own father, but unfortunately that's not always the case, but a man challenge him and, and bestow upon him that mantle of manhood. But in our culture, that doesn't happen, um, with any reliability. Um, and so you have a lot of guys out there who feel deeply insecure about their own manhood. They don't know, have I, you know, have I arrived? Have I, am I a man, you know? And, and so they get, they get really, uh, afraid so they, they go seek externals that make them 
manly or whatever they think that means. Maybe they go buy a Harley um, and put on a leather jacket on the weekends and tear around. Or maybe they go to bars uh, on Friday nights and, you know, um, elbow their way around, you know, and, and swagger and, you know, maybe pick a fight or something like just to prove their manhood, their strength. Um, or maybe they go to the gym and they, you know, pick up more weight than they can handle and make drop the weights really loud to make sure everyone can see just, you know, how much they were lifting or whatever. But, but it leads to this like role playing where, um, you know, th- there's no substance behind it. You know, you take some muscle bound, uh, you know, gym rat um, and say, you know, you put him in a firefight in, in uh, been, you know, in, in the Middle East or something, and he's going to run for the hills because he's not really a man. Like he doesn't really have that. There's no substance behind the muscles. There's no substance to his character. Um, and you know, he's never endured hardship of any kind. He's never struggled in any meaningful way. Um, and so and he's certainly never had anyone tell him that he, he you know, you are man, my son. <laughs> and and so there's just this doubt that nags at men today, I think. Um, so that's one, once, you know, the manhood that many men wear in this culture is very superficial. It's just a surface level veneer of, of masculine feeling attributes um, like a fast car or, you know, big muscles or uh, how many women, you know, you can have. Um, and, but there's no substance to it. There's no inner character or virtue that backs it up. Um, as, for, as far as what Catholics go, um, there's, there's also a sense in which we can spiritually role play as well. Um, we can start to use the faith as a cudgel, you know, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves by how many heretics we can blast or how many church documents we can quote or, you know, uh, the canon law that we can cite, you know, and, and it becomes a just a matter of spiritual pride and arrogance. But again, there's no substance to our faith. We've never really struggled in prayer. Um, we've never really sought uh, the face of Christ, you know, in, 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 in a vigil of any kind or, you know, we've never confronted the darkness within our own hearts um, and cried out in repentance. You know, it's just a, a spiritual role playing, you know, well, um, you know, if I just do this or say these things or memorize these quotes or get in debates on Facebook with people, I'm holy. Um, no, it goes deeper than that. And again, as I said about real men at the beginning, they don't draw attention to themselves. And likewise, truly holy people don't go around picking fights on Twitter or Facebook, uh, putting everybody down constantly, um, you know, looking for the next person to expose. Um, and if you look around in the world today, I mean, there's all kinds of Catholics and there's all kinds of men who are literally just shredding each other. Um, it's just it's just the spirit of division and hatred, and there's no um, Christ-like spirit um, of I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to suffer for the good of others, um, whether that suffering is in the form of prayer or, or sacrifice. Um, and, you know, again, confronting the, the darkness and sin within your own heart and repenting. 
um, you know, that's where true manhood lies, true spirituality lies, uh, is in that confrontation with yourself, um, not with pointing out all the sin and error in the world, which is very easy to do, very easy. But we can use that as a, as a sort of spiritual role playing that makes up for our own lack of authenticity. Um, so we need to be careful about that. We need to be careful as men um, of looking for false substitutes for virtue and character in externals. Um, you know, wearing a bow tie doesn't make you a gentleman, uh, nor does wearing, you know, uh, studded leather uh, on your Harley make you a man. Um, and likewise, you know, uh, carrying around a big heavy rosary uh, and a catechism of the Council of Trent and, you know, picking fights on Facebook does not make you a saint. Uh, so it, it always involves struggle. And a lot of times we don't want to face the struggle of being an authentic man. We don't want to face the struggle that comes with true spiritual maturity. And so we pick inauthentic substitutes that are very shallow. Um, but we need to flee that if we're going to ever be real Catholic gentlemen. Wonderful. Well, you, you've already touched on um, this sense of manhood being uh, a gift, something that is given. And uh, I think one of the most lucid threads throughout the whole, throughout the Catholic gentleman, the book, is that of, of fatherhood and, and sonship. Um, and that a son uh, learns to be a man. Um, really to be a person from his father or even, you know, maybe it's like you said, maybe it's a father figure. It might not, maybe it's a grandfather, maybe it's an uncle or uh, maybe, maybe the father's absent, but a, a father figure, a father who loves and affirms him. Um, that is men cannot just grasp manhood for themselves from, for themselves. As you just, as you just said, with all these illustrations of, uh, of inauthentic manhood, you know, whether it's weightlifting or, um, you know, cereal, uh, you know, one night stands or whatever it is, but man, it cannot be grasped, but it must be gifted to them. That's why there are these initiation uh, rites in various cultures, you know, that are, can be rather intense. Um, but so have we, I think the answer to this is yes. Uh, have we lost our sense of sonship, of manhood as a gift? Um, and how can fathers better love and teach their sons? And how can sons better learn to receive from their fathers this gift of manhood? Yes, uh, it's, uh, those are big questions. <laughs> but I would say uh, whenever there is a transition, um, or you use the word initiation, which I think is a traditionally used word um, of the transition from boyhood to manhood, there's always a sense in which there has to be a death and resurrection. Um, the old personality, the old identity has to die and the new identity has to be embraced. And we see this um, in, in entering the church. You know, it starts with a, the ritual of baptism where we, um, you know, both uh, symbolically but also spiritually die. We enter into the death of Christ and we enter into his new life, his resurrection life. Um, so there's a clear death and resurrection there. And that pattern holds true as well for the transition from boyhood to manhood, where um, the, the world of the boy is very much in relation to the mother in many ways. Even if he's following his father around, trying to imitate him, 
he still always comes home to mother where he's safe. Um, but for a boy to transition to a man, he has to step outside that comfort zone, outside that safety net offered by the mother. Um, and that can be emotionally, that can be physically, that can be in a number of different ways. Um, but the point is there needs to be a clear transition from uh, the safety of the home to a sense of danger, to stepping out into the unknown. And oftentimes a good father, what he'll do is he'll challenge his son, take a risk, step out, do something uncomfortable, do something that in a sense almost fills, fills you with dread and fear um, and succeed at it. Take that risk. Um, and, you know, a lot of you talk about some of these these initiation rituals in, in traditional cultures. Sometimes they can be really brutal. You know, here, son, here's here's a flint knife. I'm going to drop you in the middle of nowhere and you have a week to survive on your own before I come get you. You know, like the, some of these these rituals are not like easy. So it was a matter of life and death. A lot of cases um, you either pass the test or you're, you didn't make it. Um and now we we don't have anything close to that in our culture, but still there's many ways in which young men need to differentiate. They need to leave the safety net of the home and the mother um, and the, the comfort that that represents, which is a good thing. And we need that. We need that love. We need that comfort to establish a secure foundation uh, as a human person. But there, to transition from to a man, we have to leave that comfort zone and we have to launch out kind of like, you know, uh, Frodo or Bilbo, you know, stepping outside their door, beginning the quest. Um, you have no idea where you're going to go. You have no idea where you're going to end up, but you're stepping outside that door. You're going to you're going to leave the comfort of the Shire, so to speak. Uh, I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now, so <laughs> rereading it, I should say. But um, but that's where you find real manhood is when you step out into the unknown, you abandon yourself to God's mercy. You say, I'm going to step out. And uh, oftentimes when we take those risks, that's when God really starts to work in our lives. We find ourselves growing in maturity and confidence and courage and virtue essentially. Um, but that can never come if we stay safe and we always take the safe path, the comfortable path uh, we'll never grow. We'll never mature. Um, so there has to be a sense of adversity there. And you, in the second part of your question was, how can fathers better love and teach their sons? Well, I think it comes with lovingly challenging your sons. This is not something that's like brutal and, um, uh, you know, without a sense of compassion to it. But a mother's job is to keep a son safe. Um, and women are very good at that oftentimes. Um, but a father needs to say, you need to step outside your comfort zone, take a risk. I'm going to push you. I'm going to challenge you, um, uh, you know, do something that makes you uncomfortable. And that can start very young. Um, we all have things that make us uncomfortable, but when a father challenges us, it can be so good for us. Even if we hate it in the moment, we need it. Um, and if I look at my own life, the moments where I grew the most were often the moments that I hated it the most, and yet it was the most good for me. But to have that father challenge you and say, you can do this. I know you can step out. Um, and you know, you've got this, um, face your fears, overcome them. Um, and then we grow. And then we realize we look, we wake up one day and say, wait a minute, I, I'm a man. Like, 
I, I, I took the risk. I took the plunge. Um, I left the safety and the comfort and stepped out. Um, and I see, I just, I don't want to belabor this, but I do want to say, see this with a lot of young men who use discernment in a sense as a uh, excuse to stay safe. Um, when they'll say like, well, uh, I'm not sure if God wants me to be a priest or if he wants me to marry uh, and, and start a family. Um, so I'm going to discern for a few months. Well, a beautiful girl comes along. She's a virtuous Catholic young woman. Um, oh, you feel that attraction. But but I don't know. Maybe maybe God wants me to be a priest. I can't ask her out. You know, well, what, what really you are is you're just afraid of being rejected. But you're using the excuse of discernment to postpone any kind of risk. Or maybe God wants me to be a priest, but maybe he wants me to get married too. I just don't know. Well, I'm sorry. Go visit a seminary. Just go. Just do it. You know, God will lead you. You step out in faith. And Hebrews 11 is a wonderful chapter if you want examples from Scripture of uh, faith-filled men and women. And they're, and they're also all throughout church history. But every saint, every individual in Scripture who ever accomplished anything for God, they were fully aware of their own weakness. They were trembling with fear and trepidation, but they stepped out in faith. And God rewarded that tremendously, far beyond anything they could have imagined. So for a young man to just kind of uh, waffle on the sidelines of life, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's tragic. And uh, there's a lot of young men out there wasting their potential. Take a risk, take the plunge. God's got your back. <laughs> he will lead you. He will guide you. He will never fail you. He's promised. Step out, do something, and you, you will find that God will reward you tremendously. Amen. I, there, is, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of questions that could be asked, but uh, I think one that has been on my mind is, uh, well, you know, in, in your book, you insist uh, a few times on the importance of the saints, the, ex the examples of the saints and the intercession of the saints in the lives, in the life of a man. Um, and sometimes I think that our, as men, maybe our relationship with the saints can be a little bit, uh, I think, perfunctory might be the word, you know, just sort of something like, yeah, yeah, St. Cecilia, pray for us. Yeah, St. Joseph, pray for us. All right, yeah, did my, you know, you pray, you pray, you pray uh, novena, you know, you just kind of, you just kind of, kind of blow through it. And you're like, okay, I've done my, my obligatory saintly intercession stuff. Okay, now. I've got, but I, in your book, I I think you insisted it's something much more than that. Uh, our relationship with the saints, and so my question is, how can the saints help men in their ordinary everyday lives? Um, yeah, well, I think all of us who care about living the Catholic faith have an awareness that yes, we have struggles in daily life, um, ordinary life, if you will. But I think if you look at the message of the saints, they try to shatter that distinction between the secular and the sacred. And they try to remind us constantly that everything is sacred. Um, and so our work may feel like drudgery, may feel boring, or may feel tedious or whatever. But it's the place where we learn holiness, where we learn virtue. 
Um, it's where we grow in sanctity, whatever God has put in our path, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, whatever. That's where we learn sanctity. So we need to abolish this distinction in our, that is so easy to fall into where sacred is Sunday. It's going to adoration. It's praying novenas. That's sacred. Then there's watching TV. Then there's going to work. Then there's hanging out with my friends. That's secular. No, no, no. They're all one. They're all one. Um, and to answer your question about the saints, I think the important thing to realize is that if that's true, that everything is sacred in a sense, then yes, pray to St. Anthony to find your keys. You know, just uh, help that, you know, you, you need help, ask a saint. They, you know, I love the patronages that a lot of these saints have. They're like, they're really funny sometimes, you know. Um, you know, the patron saint of bad dreams or the patron saint of, you know, um, stubbed toes or whatever. You know, there's a patron saint for literally everything. It's a great book called Drinking with the Saints, by the way, that has a bunch of uh, cocktail recipes and beers and stuff that go along with the church calendar. But, um, but regardless, you know, the saints, um, are our heavenly friends in our the struggle of life and life can be challenging and hard and stressful sometimes but we're surrounded by a community of living beings spiritual beings of great power that are incredibly close to god um, and why on earth would we not avail ourselves of that community of friends if you will um, they're not off somewhere inaccessible they're very close to us they care about our needs um, and again, they're very powerful. They have the ability to intercede for us and help us in daily life. Um, so yes, life can be hard. Being a husband, being a father can be exhausting. Um, living the Catholic life fully lived is a difficult thing. But hey, you have a community of, of incredibly holy, um, godly uh, angels and saints surrounding you. There's a, there's a treasure trove of devotions to them. But even if it's something completely spontaneous, completely uh, informal, you can call upon them anytime. And I've seen in my own life some amazing things happen just by asking the saints with a heart full of faith, you know, like, I believe you're there, you're listening, help me. And things happen. Um, so life is hard, but Invoke the saints, and it'll be a little bit easier uh, to achieve the goal of sanctity. Uh, they're there to help us. They want us to call upon them. Um, so, so do that when you have the opportunity. Well, Sam, I think we're about to have to wrap this great conversation up, unfortunately. But I do before we before we end, I do want to ask: Why should women read the Catholic Gentleman, and uh, how can women help men? You know, whether it's their sons or their husbands or their brothers or their friends to, to live an authentic masculinity in your view. I, I, that's a great question. Yes, women have read it. Women like it. Um, I think there's something there for women, uh, mothers who are trying to help their sons grow, things like that. I would just say um, that uh, how women can help men is, first of all, understand a man's needs. And a man's needs are different than a woman's needs. So, for example, your son is, you know, swinging from a tree or, you know, uh, doing something that you, your maternal instincts say, oh, no, I can't let him do that. That's dangerous. He's going to hurt himself. 
well, maybe he needs to hurt himself. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, running in traffic or, you know, jumping off a cliff or something. But I mean, if the if the, the danger is a scraped knee um, and, and a Band-Aid can fix it, let him do it. Just let him do it, you know. Uh, let him take those risks. Boys need that. Boys wrestle. Boys argue. You know, just let them do it. Sometimes give them give them a little leash. You know, and if the dad dad is challenging them and allowing them to do this kind of thing, or he wants to roughhouse with them, don't shut them down, mom. You know, just let them let them let them express their healthy God given masculinity. Obviously, there's limits, and every boy needs to learn limits. Um, and I also think that it doesn't mean our boys need to be barbarians. Again, the goal is to be a gentleman. The boy can be rough and tough and also have a sensitivity to the needs of others. He can be courteous, can have manners, can say please and thank you, and can comport himself with uh, you know, uh, reserve when he needs to. But they also need those healthy outlets. They need to take dangers. They need to take risks. So yes, mom, your goal feels like I must keep them safe at all costs. I must keep them alive. Well, God gave you those instincts, you know, um, but sometimes uh, assess the situation. How real is the danger here? Um, if they fall out of the tree and, you know, they scrape their arm, is this the end of the world? No, then let them go a little higher than you think is safe. You know, uh, boys absolutely need that. And it's very unhealthy for boys when they never have an ability to take a risk or do anything that induces fear um in their life so let dad challenge them but also let them take risks let them wrestle you know and and i think that they'll be happier they'll they'll find their way to to authentic manhood sooner um and you know you will be happier as a mother being proud of your sons who are becoming young men but that that often involves taking risks and allowing them to express those little, uh, uh, a little more dangerous sides of being a boy. <laughs> um, we all need that. So um, just realize that men's needs are different. And, um, you know, uh, yes, boys need to be refined, but they also need to rough house. So um, read the book, though. You know, if you want to understand uh, what your young men need, I think the book will help you in that regard. Excellent. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation with Sam Guzman, the author of Catholic Gentleman. You can purchase it at Ignatius.com in either paperback or uh, ebook form. Um, Sam, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.